Welcome to the Nopalera podcast, a place where I share the journey of building my company from the ground up, as well as the stories of others in our community. I am your host, Sandra Velasquez, founder of Nopalera, a culture-forward brand that celebrates and elevates culture. Aside from making great products, we are cultural storytellers with a mission to inspire our community to stand in their worth. In this podcast, you will hear a mix of solo and guest episodes around the entrepreneurial realities of building a company. I launched Nopalera from my Brooklyn apartment with no outside funding while working three jobs, raising my child in the middle of the pandemic at the age of 44. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope it inspires you to live boldly. Liana Alfaro is a New York City journalist turned multi-hyphenate. She's especially passionate about exploring the Latino influence in the world of business. She is the founder of the newsletter and podcast called Moneda Moves, which means money moves. She's first-generation Mexicana and hails from Chicago, and has transited spaces from Google to NASDAQ and CNBC, where her team's work has been recognized by the likes of the New York Emmys, the Webby Awards, Digiday, and PR News. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation between Leanne and I to really discuss the importance of seeing ourselves reflected in different positions of power. Don't forget to check out the show notes to get her links and follow her work. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Great to see you. Hi, Sandra. It is fabulous to see you. How are you doing on this lovely March day? Uh, you know, it's a little cloudy here in New York, but you know, at least it's not, it's not too cold. So we're going in the right direction. You're in Chicago, right? Yes, I'm in Chicago. And listen, I am starved for these New York springs because here in Chicago, it is snowing today. Oh. And we're about to enter the uh, the classic second spring. You know, I thrive in chaos, so I consider this an extension of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the right city. You're in the right yeah. city. Yeah. So I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today because we're going to talk about two of my favorite topics, which are Latinos and money. Mm. And this is really where you live, right? You live at the intersection of these two things. And I would love to start by just hearing what brought you to this place of, you know, having your own podcast, Moneda Moves, and really being openly out in the world discussing the importance of money in the Latino community. Yeah. So in short, I would say the absence the stark absence of our communities in national newsrooms is what brought me to this place. And to me, it it was never like, oh, I want to do this thing. It was just like a frustration, an itch I knew I needed to scratch. Um, I started my career in business journalism at newsrooms like NBC, CNBC, Business Insider. And in New York, and time and time again, I saw the same story of, oh, uh, whenever we talk about examples of leadership, this is around 2016 for some context, leadership and business, we see the same uh, folks on rotation, almost white, male, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett. And I was like, hmm, there's a couple of things that sit weird in my gut about this. Number one is I come from a neighborhood from Chicago, a working class Latino neighborhood on the northwest side called Hermosa, where I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs, folks who have started their own businesses from like grocery stores, panaderias, you know, whatever people can sell. And they may not always have all the skills, but they're doing pretty well with what they've got. So I come from this background growing up in that. And now moving to a place like New York, I see people still building companies and they're also doing really well and doing the most with the least. Their marketing is impeccable. Their products are good quality, but I'm not seeing these people in the headlines. 
And so I'm just like, what gives? What is the gap here? I'm pitching stories at these outlets, probably getting like a 20% acceptance rate on the pitches that I send through. And, you know, there's a lot of feelings that are triggered by that. It's just like, do these mainstream outlets not want our stories? I'm also in the mainstream outlet. I'm like in the system. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start a newsletter. I'm going to start a newsletter wrangling all of the headlines. And eventually I was like, let me start talking to the people myself, regardless of whether my pitches are accepted or not, because someone needs to start talking about this. So that's what started Moneda Moves. I think it's been bolstered by my experience in these newsrooms, my experience working at NASDAQ, the second biggest stock exchange and working with companies as they went IPO to work with them on their strategy and storytelling. And for me to really see that, see, these are multi-million billion dollar companies that honestly, when I look at that and I look at businesses in our community, I'm like, there is no difference in the quality and the caliber of work here. The missing gap is the missing links and the opening those iron gates. Yes. Everything you just said just made me, I feel the same way in my industry, right? So I'm in the beauty vertical where I feel like what is missing are people like us on the other side, so that when we try to go through the gates, we try to enter the castle doors, we are recognized. And so do you feel like that? And of course, we've heard the phrase, you know, representation matters. Yes, it's valid. But do you think that that is what is one of the linchpins, I guess, of this issue is that the people that are in the positions of power that are deciding what stories get to run that are in those newsrooms, they are not Latinos. And that's why they don't recognize that our stories are here. Yeah. I want to peel back the layers on that question. So do I think that that's the way the world is operating right now? Let me say the question differently. Like, do you think if there were more people like us, more people like you Mm. in positions of power in those media companies that they would recognize that, yes, we need to tell these stories of Latino business owners. A hundred percent, because bias is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I'll share on the podcast in places and something that I honestly am planning on talking more about publicly. Bias is totally existent. That's not something that was taught in J school, in journalism mm-hmm. school. In journalism school, we're like taught that journalism is unbiased, that we should show all sides of the story. The more I immerse myself in the journalism world, I'm like, okay, we can say that in J school, but that is not... Mm-hmm. often true in journalism, because of course you have these in-depth ProPublica investigative stories, but the daily grind of the news cycle is like, who's in your networks? Who do you know? You ask those people for sources as a journalist. And so it is about, you know, and so that inherently that has bias within it, right? right. And so as journalists, we're going to do our best job to do a fair assessment of coverage, right? Like not do the preferential treatment, But at the end of the day, we all have bias. This is true in journalism as it's true in business, right? Mm -hmm. Investors invest in people. Journalists write about stories that they deem valid that also have the numbers to boot. That's the other thing. Part of the reason that my I referenced earlier how I was getting probably around 20% acceptance on my pitches. Back in 2016, we didn't have as many numbers as we have today, as much research. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason I think these think tanks and like research funding towards that, that matters. That's important. The reporting of founders on how much money they're raising, that's important. Those numbers are going to be like the headlines, right? But I do think that representation would be better. I think to kind of address a different part of your question, I think that covering Latinos because representation matters alone, it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah. And so we don't want to get caught up, even with Moneda, right? Like that's something that I'm just like assessing. I'm like, Moneda will, there is a time when Moneda will change. Right now it's filling a gap for the present. 
But in the future, the conversations we want to be having are not just like, let's talk about Latinos and money. The mm-hmm. conversations we want to be having is these are really solid companies. They have solid business models, growth trajectory. They happen to be Latino. It's great that they're culturally influenced, but there is sometimes this notion that I, from speaking with founders that I get of, is just like, don't put me in the Latino or the POC table. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that seems to sometimes have a connotation of, I want to be in the big leagues. And I'm like, that's not productive towards getting to where we want to get to at the end, which Mm -hmm. is like, we all want to be seen as on the same level because we are, we have that caliber of talent. We have that business savvy, that know-how, right? So I think while it is important, representation is important. It's absolutely going to be integral that we're a part of like these like bigger industry-based topics, right? Because we make businesses for everyone, just like you do. We're businesses at the end of the day. And I 100% agree with what you're saying, because to me, like the point of DE&I is to one day never need it. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that is the purpose of it. The purpose of it is not for it to, for dominant culture to always be dominant and let us in, please, like this affirmative action type of methodology, right? The purpose is for you to realize that we are actually the mainstream as well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Today's youth, like POC youth, Latino youth are so impressive and they yeah. are not waiting for permission to do things. Yes. And I think the sooner we wake up to that and the sooner that we're also start embracing that, you know, we start acting on that, the better it's going to be for the net win for the American economy at large. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love that not waiting for permission. And I have to remind myself that all the time as a product-based founder, you know, we are often waiting for stores to pick us, right? Like pick us, pick us, you know, what DNI initiatives do you have or what programs do you have for like BIPOC? But all of that feels not, not right at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's a great brand. We have customers like let us in. <laughs> yeah. And if yeah. you don't, if you don't quote unquote pick us, we will just continue to build without you. And then you can come to us later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. All of that, what you said, However, we are in this moment where Latinos do need to talk more about money in our culture, in our communities, right? So I hear what you're saying about Moneda Moves eventually will grow and it won't just be about that kind of container maybe that you've created, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I do want to talk about Latinos and money because I had a similar experience, I think, as you or others growing up where we just didn't talk about money. Yeah, yeah. And can we just talk about that for a second? And why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, I think it's such an emotional roller coaster. And I think right now I'm at a time in my life where like I am ready to explore that because I'm living it. Mm -hmm. I'm from Chicago. I haven't lived here for 10 years. I moved back last year. I'm coming back and me and my parents like driven by me because now I've come back. I'm just like, I've seen how the wealthy operate with their money. Like mom, dad, we're missing out if we're not taking advantage of these opportunities. Like it's such an emotional journey to go back and ask them about money. Because as we know, a lot of us were raised, like my parents are, we grew up low income, raised not talking about money or seeing there is like such a big relationship between like you care about people. And so you give money without asking, right? We don't think about it as investment uh, or expecting return on anything, right? It was just like, My parents didn't have a lot of money to give, but if I needed something, they would drop everything to make it financially happen. And I mean, I didn't really depend on them financially at all, but like, I just know that they would because they care that much. Right. And so now we're having these conversations of just like, let's step out of this survival mode that we've Mm. been in for so long. Right. My parents have been in survival mode. They still are. Honestly, 
I am in the process of finally stepping out of survival mode because honestly, me being in New York and like working in journalism, I was still in survival mode. My first year in New York, I was uninsured. My first year and a half, my parents weren't insured. So I didn't get to roll under their insurance as a lot of people did around my age back then. And so we are tackling all of these things and we realize it's a very emotional thing because they grew up with scarcity mindset. They grew up in survival mode, right? Like, which is part of what makes us great sometimes because we, we thrive in chaos. We're really good at making last minute switches and decisions and pivoting the art of the pivot. Actually, all elements that make great entrepreneurs, right? But we need to be able to step out of that survival mode in order to properly plan for the long term. And in order to free ourselves, to be financially free, to not be beholden to capitalism for the rest of our lives. Capitalism is a tool. And I had a lot of mixed feelings growing up about it. At some point, it's very interested in socialism. As a kid in my youth days, I was part of a socialist organization here in Chicago. Very different view on money. Very like feelings of toxicity towards money because it hadn't benefited people like my own and like the people in my neighborhood. And so I antagonized money. This is the person that ended up working at the stock exchange about a decade later after that. And so I think my relationship with money has shifted where it's just like, it is a tool. And as with any tool, it can be used for bad things. It could be used for good things. And so in a country that's driven by capitalism, how are you going to use it as a tool to not only build wealth, to have money in your bank account and be free, but to be like emotionally liberated as well. And so those are the conversations that I'm having with my parents right now. Yes. And I love that. And I have started to have those conversations with my parents as well, because now as a business owner who's making money, who raised millions of dollars, we had to have the conversation, right? What does that mean when you raise $2.7 million? What does that mean when you have a $100,000 a month? Like, what does that mean? And the survival aspect, the survival mentality. So here's my question for you. Do we get out of the survival mentality first in our minds or is it the money comes first? You know, I used to think the money comes first, but to be honest, I wasn't making any. So I don't even know what I was thinking there. I was just like, journalism is one of the least paid jobs for the most amount of sweat equity. It is definitely the mind. Mm. And it's been a lot of, a lot of therapy and a lot Mm. of like switching around and going to different therapists, but also like interrogating myself and being like, do I have feelings of attachment of worth to my money? And it's just like, especially if you're going to do an alternative route, like journalism or an alternative route, like entrepreneurship, you need to be really secure in your self-worth. I think my confidence has been shaped by my experiences. Like, oh, I know I'm confident in doing this because I've done it time and time again. And I'm confident, like in really terrible situations, I've still been able to be okay. So I'm confident in my abilities, but it's a self-worth issue. I think I realized I'm struggling a lot and I'm still working my way through it with self-worth because you really need to have that security in yourself and believe that you are worthy Just because you are not in those rooms right now, just because you are not at that level right now that you want to be at, that you won't be there. You need to really peel back the layers and interrogate your relationship with money and your self-worth. And I think that that honestly has helped me a lot. Trying to peel back those layers with my parents is a whole other journey. I think there's just like so much more to discuss. There's so many things that my parents have like honestly gay kept for me that I just still don't know. Mm -hmm. And I realize I'm like, okay, I also need to figure out like there's only so much I can help them with. But I think before them comes me, I realize I need to fill my own cup, address my self-worth issues and be able to build off that base. 
Do you feel like when you grew up or even now with your family that there is a feeling, an unspoken feeling that money is bad? Luckily, I don't think there was that feeling that money is bad because I think my feeling of money, of antagonizing money actually came from observing the ecosystem in Chicago. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in this country. We were heavily affected by redlining in the 70s. And I mean, last year I wrote a story about this where I talked about how Pilsen, our big predominant Mexican community and little village next door, had heavy effects of redlining where black and brown communities were actually pitted against each other as a result. So I grew up observing this, right? Because I grew up in a neighborhood where your income is tied to the quality of education that you have. I would have had a very different education if I would have stayed to my neighborhood school. It was through a lottery system. So literally by chance, like that's how I defined my education in my early childhood. I was like, by chance that I got through a lottery system into a school one hour north where people are higher income, they pay more in taxes, they get better quality education. And so I think that's what led me to be very critical of an ecosystem that prioritizes money. Because I'm like, there's so much potential in my neighborhood. There's so much hustle in my neighborhood. Why aren't we getting access to those opportunities? Simply because we're starting at a different place. In my household, though, I think that my dad always saw money as a tool. My father came here, immigrated to this country, moved to Chicago because there was an opportunity with the union and construction working started there. But shortly thereafter was like, I do not want to be beholden to an income cap. I feel like I can build these skills. He had the confidence that he could build these skills in not only carpentry, but many other skills. And so now he's done home remodeling and built a self-employed business based off that. So I grew up seeing that. And I think that honestly did make me less scared of money. I was just like, if my father could do this, who didn't study for this either, I think he have studied. I mean, I honestly, so many missing pieces from my family's story sometimes, but he studied some and had the confidence to say like, I can build this and I can build this for myself. And so even though we weren't always like, there were months I remember when like the income wasn't steady. It was, it was tough. You know, I could tell that like we cut back on groceries. My mom would explain the situation to me like, Hey, we need to go get groceries here. Like we need to walk an extra two miles. We can't drive because your dad's at work. There's no Uber Lyft back then. So we're just like, we're just going to go to get the groceries further. So I grew up being very observant of money, but also how there was the potential, depending on your tolerance of discomfort, there's a potential to be very independent and to use it as a tool. And my dad did become homeowner of two properties, which he then started renting out. So I feel like that helped me a lot in being like, I may not be there now, but I can get there. You can see it. I can see it. It was modeled for you. Absolutely. And I think that that is a huge lesson because the more of us that can model that behavior for the next generation, the more of us that succeed, because I also, I agree, that's why more of us need to be in those positions of economic power so that it just, we just normalize it. And other people see like, yeah, that's me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where mm -hmm. the whole representation matters narrative comes in because we see ourselves in those positions, right? We see ourselves working in NASDAQ. We see ourselves, you know, running media companies, et cetera. And so why do you think, or let me ask this, do you think the subject of money is taboo in the Latino community, generally speaking? Yeah. And if so, why? Yeah. You know, I think the subject of money is getting less taboo. And I think there are a lot of Latinos in our community speaking about money. I think it's interesting because I still hear people say this, but I'm just like, I feel like we did talk growing up. We did talk a lot about money. We said, oh, the limones cost 50 cents less over here. Let's go. You know, like we talked about money, but I just don't know that like many families necessarily had that. But we talked about the struggles around money with my family. I think you need to have 
the conversations, the struggles around money, which I do think are prevalent in our communities. I do think we talk about money that way, you know? Yes. We don't have tandas just because. We have tandas because people are talking about their financial struggles. Oh, this hospital bill came in and it's thousands of dollars. I need help. Mm-hmm. I need to borrow some money. These mm-hmm. conversations we've always had in our communities. Yes. Like, Right. Yes. Yes. And so we need to have those conversations. Those uncomfortable conversations are important, but just as equally, we need to talk about like thriving. Yes. In that ecosystem. Yes. And like, I think sometimes that happens maybe because people maybe within families, maybe people close themselves off if they're more financially successful or they're spending time with different circles. Mm -hmm. But I think that that range matters. Like, and so for me, it's super important as I rise in my career, as I move through different subjects and different like socioeconomic status, I want to make sure that I am still feel like I'm accessible in some way to people Mm -hmm. that are still building. Yes. Well, I'll I'll continue to build, right? Like, but people that are still building and are like who I was yesterday, because I think that Mm -hmm. that range is super important and not gatekeeping Mm -hmm. like to a maximum Mm -hmm. is important because then people can see that mobility. They can see the model. Yes. They can get guidance on how, on the how. Absolutely. Before we wrap up, can you give me three things that people should do that are interested in moving out of the survival mindset? Because I agree that it first starts in your mind because I have experiences firsthand myself. I was also in survival I'm 46. I've been living paycheck to paycheck since I graduated college, you know, so I was always... I mean, you're a musician. You're a musician. It was all survival, you know, there was no savings, but it took the active desire to, first of all, recognize that it was survival mindset, right? And to actively want to get out of it and create a new reality for myself. And so what would be like, if you were to give someone like your three-step plan, right? Maybe it's 10 steps, but what are the top three? Like, how do we help people get out of that? Mm-hmm. right? To get out of the survival mindset, because you mentioned self-worth and understanding like your worth and that your worth not being tied to, let's say your current bank account or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. But to me, that is the biggest hurdle. The biggest hurdle is getting people over that, showing them that another way of thinking about money is possible. Another way of life is possible. Mm-hmm. The money does not come first because as we know, right, we've seen the data that as an example, I don't know, it's like over 70% of lottery winners lose all of their money because Mm -hmm. they don't know who that version of themselves is to have that much money, right? Because they have been telling themselves a story like I'm poor my whole life. They don't know who that version of themselves is. They can't just step into it, right? Because the work first starts in your mind. The money, in other words, the money is not what sets you free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I will borrow from some things I learned in therapy. Please. (laughs) It's important for us to identify the difference between confidence and self-worth. Confidence usually has to do with empirical evidence like, oh, because I've done this before, because I've done something like it, I am confident that I can do it in my skills and abilities. Self-worth has to do more with like, who are you really when you're stripped of everything? If I lost everything tomorrow, if I lost my full-time job, if no one knew who I was, who would I know I am? Like you kind of put yourself in that vulnerable position. You picture that and you start writing. Who am I? Because that's going to guide someone like you, Sandra, to be able to be more bold in your decisions and unapologetic. And honestly, the goal is not to be well-liked. It's to be who you are going to be. Amen. Uh, Like I could say be respected, but some people might not even respect you. And that's none of your business, honestly. Like, and, and I think that that's been a hard lesson and something that I'm still trying to overcome. It's not my business if someone doesn't like me or even respects me, as long as I'm being true to me. That's my biggest commitment. It's like, do I respect who I am? when you strip it all away or when you're at the maximum of your career, because especially if you're stepping into places where you're going to continue to be, you know, you don't have control over certain things. You need to be okay with that. So that's number one. I think number two 
in terms of breaking yourself free. I'm, I'm thinking in real time. I'm thinking on my feet here. But I think that's a big part. I think number two would be just interrogate your relationship with money. I think context matters, right? We're storytellers, right? That's a big part of what we do. Like for me, I've identified with my family and I've worked through it in therapy too. Like what belief systems did I have about money growing up that I need to interrogate at this point in time? The more we evolve, the more we're going to have to reassess. Like maybe the way I thought about money two years ago doesn't serve me now. I think you, we need to consistently ask ourselves these questions and also get that context, right? Like so that we can have grace with ourselves. Oh, maybe I felt this way about money growing up, or maybe I, I felt like I just couldn't partake in. And honestly, this is, this is true of me. I felt like I just, I couldn't partake in luxury experiences because that's not what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, despite me earning more money, why would I, why would I spend on that? And I think that it's only been as of the last few years that I'm just like, wait, I am deserving of this. Like, I know why am I categorizing myself out of it as long as I'm following with my budget, right? Again, the tools come later. You use the tools to keep yourself, but like you are worthy of that. And so you need to interrogate your relationship with money. And then I think the third one is bringing others with you. I think community is so important. I've been raving to everybody who's talked to me in the last few months about Bell Hooks because I read her book about all about love. And she says, love does not thrive in isolation. And I think that that's true of any concept you're trying to employ. You need to be able to build in a community in order to truly experience it. So I would connect with other people who are in your position, who are at that point and stayed in your journey to talk about how they're dealing with their self-worth and also breaking free from money, identifying who you are, because that's really what's going to set you free enable you to be your most authentic self, your most unapologetic. And I found that even from people I didn't expect it, the respect will come because people see that. They're like, oh, she's sure it's an alignment. She knows this is her thesis statement or his thesis statement, their thesis. They know what they're going to do. And so it's not a shock to me that they act the way that they do because everything is in alignment and they know who they are. And I think that's beautiful. I love it. Cosine on all three. (laughs) This has been so awesome, Leanne. Thank you so much for all of that wisdom. I know it's going to be super valuable for people. And I just want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing and speaking openly and standing in your truth and standing in your worth, because we need more people to do what you're doing. So thank you. Same to you, Sandra. I'm I'm a huge supporter of everything that you do and and how you do it unapologetically. I told my team the other day, I said, if at my funeral, everyone says that I was nice and everyone liked me, then you're at the wrong funeral because no one should be saying that at my funeral. <laughs> okay. My, I don't want to be nice and I don't want to be liked by everybody. Right. Yeah. That's not the goal here. So, so I love that you said that. No, no, no. And if I can add something, like I would, Please. I would encourage people, like, especially people around my age, like if I could go back and tell my early twenties, something like listen to older people that you admire a little bit more like people who you feel are really secure in their own worth, listen to what they say, because I'm very influenced by Mexican music. And I'm a big fan of Eli Guerra. She was in Chicago last weekend doing her perform. She's 51 years of age and does amazing alternative rock music and acoustic. And she does these things, these monologues in between her music. And she's just like, ya llegué a los 51. And she's just like, ya no me importa. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm so over it. And it's almost like. So liberating. It's liberating to hear that. Because as a woman, I'm seeing a model, right? I'm mm-hmm. seeing a model. She is like single in her 50s. I'm not planning on being single in her 50s. But if <laughs> I am, that mm-hmm. is the attitude. That is yes. the way that I want to carry myself. And I think it's always helped to have people 
who, even if in my current environment, I don't see that person to seek that model in different environments yes. and be like, that's how I want to feel. It's yes. important to know how you want to feel more than exactly what you want to do. Yes. So I found her monologues very helpful. <laughs> oh, yes. And fun fact, I actually opened for Eli Guerra in Washington, D.C. back when I was, you know, Amazing. the lead singer Pistolera. And I was sí. pregnant at the time. <laughs> it was a fun show with the Black Cat. That um, is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, she's such a talented artist, as you. <laughs> oh, thank you again. Thank you for being here with us. Remember to leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening from. Spread the word so we can impact and grow the community. If you are an entrepreneur looking for more real talk and resources, you can join my entrepreneurial newsletter from my personal website, sandralilavelasquez.com. But also visit nopalera.co to pick up your favorite self-care items for yourself and your loved ones. Join the Nopalera mailing list to be the first to hear about new products, exclusive promos. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at nopalera.co. Stay resilient.